the free for all roundtable brought to you by lexus avon canada's newest lexus dealer in the maple auto mall near rutherford at highway 400 luxury is closer than you think round one on round one sabrina and angie is here from queen's park observer matt gurney journalist and co-founder of the online magazine called the line john burnside is here toronto city councillor and ttc chair okay so let me start with you john burnside um we have a new competitor it would seem unless olivia chow plans to announce today that you know she likes vanilla ice cream or something i think she's getting into the race uh that changes the composition quite considerably yeah, I mean, I think it makes it more difficult for Josh Matlow because he was enjoying all the people on the left. I speculated that, as did many others, that she was going to wait till right at the last opportunity around May 10th, May 12th. Because remember, in 2014, she was the front runner and ran a, you know, a substandard campaign. Uh, but I think the problem she, I speculate that she has run into is that Josh Matlow was scooping up all the um, political activists on the left and Anna Bailao was uh, scooping up all the unions. So if she didn't get in now, uh, there wouldn't be a lot of uh, people to scoop up. Okay, and Matt Gurney, as political observers, I have to say the nasty turn this campaign has taken is actually quite amusing. I suppose we could sit here and lament the lack of civility, but they're really going after each other. Yeah, but I mean, that's what happens when a 1% vote differential is going to mean the difference between mayor of Toronto and seventh place. Like, it's going to be a really tight race, but at least that's what the polls are telling us. Obviously, I think we should all expect to see that there will be some horse trading as this thing goes on. We'll likely see some people drop out here. In regards to Miss Chow, can I just say here, John, that if she did come out and announce today that she likes vanilla ice cream, it would finally be an announcement on her behalf that I could support. (laughs) This would be... I could throw myself fully behind that because, I mean, who doesn't like vanilla ice cream? I I have nothing personally against Miss Chow, but I think it's important for us to remember and to acknowledge that years ago, she ran for mayor of Toronto and it didn't go well. What we discovered is that although she seems to be a wonderful person and, and certainly seemed to have been an effective MP, she wasn't good in the role of campaign front runner. She wasn't the person you wanted to put out there. It was a weird campaign she had. It was something of a, of a wet firework, I guess we could say. You know, maybe if she uses vanilla ice cream as her campaign plank, she'll do better. But it wasn't a good effort. Why do we think a long spell out of politics, where a lot of stuff passes her by, has made her a better politician? Okay, and Sabrina, you'll get last word on this one. Because for me, anyway, there's an aspect to the way that she's declaring, convening the media, setting a time, 10.30, refusing to do any advance interviews, that suggests, you know, she's going to cock her head and say, Toronto, I have heard you. I am here. Yeah. And I, you know, I expect a lot of these candidates to milk these announcements. I mean, I've got my ear at Queen's Park. Mitzi Hunter still hasn't even resigned her seat as MPP. And I think she's probably one of the contenders that might be sweating Olivia Chow's uh, entry into the race. I know Josh Matlow probably is, too, because, of course, as my colleagues have pointed out, there's concerns about vote splitting here. Um, I, I think that, you know, because I've got my ear at Queen's Park, I'll just add that this is probably, you know, bad news for the Ford government. You know, the premier 
there as much as he likes to say he's staying out of it. Uh, he is fully in the thick of it and uh, does not want a, a so-called lefty mayor, which I think Olivia Chow, uh, you know, could be considered for sure. Um, but I, I think this is probably good news for Mark Saunders camp, too, because these are high profile names. And as much as we want to harp on Chow for her past bids, um, the way she's announcing this, she certainly has name recognition and in a very crowded field, that's going to go a long way. Okay, let's talk about one of the proposals. Rob Davis has made this and I don't plan to spend a lot of time talking with the candidates from here to Election Day because they're each going to try and, you know, set off some sort of a little flash pot and then hope that they get 10 minutes on News Talk 1010. But I think the idea is worth debating, and that is this, uh, that first responders would get to ride the TTC for free. Um, Matt Gurney, that was kind of rejected out of hand by Scott Reed this morning on the morning brief. And I do look at it and think it's one of those things that sounds like a great idea, but I don't know if it, it really amounts to anything. Yeah, no, it's 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 like a nice idea, right? Like it also, I would totally support allowing really nice people to ride for free on the oh, on the TTC. Well, then I could get on. No, of course you could. This is the the John Moore policy in the Macaroni campaign. Look, it, it's a, it's a really nice idea here, but like, do we honestly think that the problem on the TTC right now is insufficient first responders taking a free ride? Like we we have real problems in the city, and I guess it's in theory possible this would, you know, maybe one day. That paramedic who wouldn't have otherwise taken it happens to be riding it and then ends up saving the life of the innocent person who's been stabbed. It's not impossible, but it seems sort of like item 900 on our 10-point action plan that might actually make a meaningful difference in the here and now. Okay, John, you chair the TTC, and uh, the candidate is saying, well, this could put 10,000 people on the TTC who can all keep the peace. And then I started hearing from people saying, what about nurses? What about people who operate trains? I thought, that's an interesting suggestion. But anyway, is this a, a, a non-starter? Yeah, it is to me. I mean, first of all, 9,500 of those people live outside of the city and don't take the TTC. That's the bigger issue to me. Um, and the other issue is that they're all on shifts. So most of the it, public transit doesn't really work well for most of them. And uh, sort of to further Matt, to further Matt's point, uh, if we had a problem with fires on the TTC, then yeah, sure, let firefighters ride for free with a with a canister but that's not the problem yeah and sabrina maybe i don't know all the firefighters in toronto but i know a goodly number and i don't know too many of them that use public transit to get to work yeah, I think it's a cute idea, um, but like my colleague said, you know, is this our, our top priority? Is this really gonna, is this really what we need that's going to solve all the issues that we're having on the TTC? I don't think so. Uh, pass for me. Okay, Joe Cristiano, Rob Davis hasn't called us back to complain this time, has he? No. Okay, we'll keep moving. Uh, Government of Canada is restoring Hockey Canada funding. Remember, of course, they had most of their sponsors disappear, and then the government said, you guys are a mess, we're taking our money away. All of this over the fact that they had this slush fund that was designed to pay people off in the event of things that were beyond insurance, like a young woman who gets uh, serially sexually assaulted by eight junior players. So they're getting the money back with conditions. Sabrina and Angie, are you convinced that Hockey Canada has actually cleaned house and is ready to start over? Well, I guess time will tell. I mean, restore the funding, but yes, you know, bring in conditions. I think the key here is transparency, and that is 
how we got into this debacle in in the first place. Um, so I think we always knew the funding was was going to come back. Uh, and as long as you know they, they kind of meet these conditions, and especially to be more open and, and you know show us the books and and you know where this funding is going, absolutely, uh, there needs to be accountability here. Okay, Matt Gurney, are you impressed that they've actually done something, or are we just going to revert to mean pretty soon? Yeah, I mean, that's my concern. Um, I, I try not to, well, you know, I try to like dial back my natural cynicism to like a 95 out of 100 on a Monday morning. So look, there has been change. There have been new personnel brought in. There's been scrutiny. There's been some, um, you know, regulatory changes at Hockey Canada. Let us momentarily indulge the, even the, the possibility of, of good news here. Maybe what has happened here will be sufficient. Then reality kind of comes crashing down here. Not only is it likely that this organization will do what organizations do. This is not a Hockey Canada problem. This is an organization problem. This is an institution problem. Anytime an institution becomes big enough, for whatever reason, when confronted with scandal, its instinct, its prime directive becomes cover our butts. And I don't know how we fix that because it seems to be human nature. So there's the danger that Hockey Canada will backslide. There's also the danger for the feds that they're going to restore this funding two years from now or even maybe not even that long. We find out about some new scandal, and all of a sudden the feds are being asked, why are you giving these guys their money again? Um, Twitter has added government-funded media to the CBC account description. Pierre Polyev is championing this. Um, John Burnside, I think everybody knows what's going on here. This is a clever little sophomore game of trying to pretend that what that phrase means is government-controlled media. Yeah, and you know, I'm really sick of politicians on the left and the right speaking to their base, because really all it's doing is dividing, dividing people uh, across the country. You know, I think Canadians are more concerned about inflation, housing, mental health, and all those things. This is just, uh, you know, it's just very frustrating that that's what the leader of the opposition is really focusing on. Yeah, Matt Gurney, it's, uh, it's like so many things these days. It's word games and political gainsaying. Yeah, it is. And I will, I'll go so far as to say this. I mean, the CBC is government funded media. The problem is in this country right now, almost all media is government funded. Don't get me started on the state of the newspapers. I've been writing about this from the outside. There is, I think, a genuine credibility problem when media institutions take money from government. I do think, I don't think it's impossible. I write for TVO, right? Like that, that is an explicitly publicly funded media outlet, but you have to have the governance in place here. I don't think it's wrong to label the CBC as government-funded media, even though I'm with you guys. I'm, I'm, I, f- I fully understand what the trick is here. But given the state of things in government-funded media, it's getting hard in this country to find media that wouldn't qualify for that. Yeah, and Sabrina and Angie, there may be a, a disposition amongst an awful lot of people who work at the CBC that they are small-L liberals. Although I do remember when I used to be on The National, I was pitted against noted Marxist Jonathan Kay and Tasha Kiridan. So, you know, there, there was a little balance. <laughs> yeah, and I would just like to point out that Queen's Park Observer, totally independent. I mean, yes, I think, you know, government-funded media, technically it's true, but everything that's going on with Twitter these days seems to be just so petty. It seems to be missing the mark. I think people are just rolling their eyes, tuning out, getting even more disillusioned with our politics. Like, they've got real things to worry about, you know, at, at the gas pump, at the grocery store. Um, so, you know, technically true, a little petty. Um, I'm over this whole t- Twitter drama, to be honest. 
honest. Okay, so Mac Gurney, I'll, I'll start with you on this one. Uh, Jamie Watt writing a column suggesting the Democrats should choose John Stewart as their presidential candidate in the next election. And you first read it and think, okay, fun little weekend piece. And then I thought, might work. Yeah, and I was having a conversation along similar lines recently, and I'm I'm not saying this to be absurd, but I, I swear to God, Dwayne Johnson and John Cena as the, the president and, and VP candidates here. And, and here's the thing, and I know this sounds like I'm just being flippant here, but American politics is veering into some sort of weird celebrity-based freak show um I, I, I was about to say a swear word. I guess it's kind of like that's that's the state of my my feelings on U.S. politics right now. At a certain point, you can you have to stop lamenting it, or or hey, even continue to lament it. But you've got to adapt to it. If the Republicans are going to continue going down the path of let us come up with the m- most grotesque freak show we can find and run it as a candidate, the Democrats are going to need to actually start fighting back there. I don't know if John Stewart's the guy, but I do think the Democrats might not enjoy what happens if they keep being like we're going to find an earnest policy wonk who's going to run against a guy like Donald Trump okay John Burnside I think that I like Dwayne Johnson I'd love and watching the president wrestle the opposition would be even more fun uh, yeah, it would indeed but uh, I love John Stewart a uh, lot smarter than Donald Trump he can fight fire with fire and he actually uh, speaks the truth my thanks to Matt Gurney Sabrina Nanji and John Burnside Catch the round table, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.